0: Dear brothers and sisters and children. You know, as I said, the Psalm 130 has a very special place in God's word. It's simultaneously a psalm of lament and a psalm of ascent, part of a joyful Psalms of Ascent from 120 to 144. 34. Lament can be a big word, so I will try to define you for, for it for the, for you, the kids, and some. Of you. Lament is simply means that we are when we feel an emotion and we feel very deeply sorry or sad about something that we have done or not done. This world laments for a lot of things, but the world of God asks us to lament in one thing. One complete reason is sin. One complete reason to spend time in this psalm tonight is that we have all faced sin. We have all caused grief to God. And we have sometimes been cast into the pit of despair. Have you ever felt discouraged? Have you ever felt despaired by the weight of sin are you be are you being all burdened by sin? Do you feel overwhelmed or do you feel like the psalmist sometimes in the pit, in the pit of despair, sorry, in the abyss? If so, you're not alone. And God has given the psalms for these kind of days. We all face this time to time. And it's precisely when the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be preached. And we preached to all of us. This psalm is a good reminder of the importance of prayer, to lift our eyes and to reconnect reconnect with our God humbly and joyfully. Even though the writer is not is unknown, we know much about him and his intention. As God's Spirit inspired him, we know that he was a Jewish, a pilgrim like you and me. We are all pilgrims, we just celebrated Thanksgiving's. Thanksgiving is a good reminder of pilgrimage, a journey in our life. We, our land is not, this nation is not the nation that we are going to be called to. We have a heavenly place to go. And this pilgrim, for him, going to the temple every twice a year was the same of his life. For us, for all of us, we are in a pilgrimage journey to go to the heavenly city of God. The writer's intention is clear, too. It's to encourage his brother to pray to God. Tonight, we'll go over over this psalm that I titled The Pilgrim's Prayer. And it'll be good for you to remember the five points. Or when you feel um, overwhelmed by sin, go turn to this psalm. It was one of the favorite psalms of Martin Luther. It was, as he said, the the psalms, what he called the gospel psalm. By diving into, we're going to dive, to dive into this salt, uh, psalm into five ways, five calls upon God. And we'll dive in the first call, the call to cry out to our caring and loving God. We start at verse 2. Out of the depth, I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. The psalmist cry out from the depth of the abyss. It seems to be engulfed in the depth of the oceans, of the earth, at least crying from an isolated place, he calls to our eternal God, the God of the covenant, simply by saying, hear me, hear me. The same way is for all of us when we face sin and we all or perhaps we don't know yet God. Just call upon him and God will hear you. What distinguishes an abyss from, from everything, it is coldness. Like we have said, it might be that the psalmist Maybe in the pit of despair or an abyss. It's coldness, it's darkness when we are cut off from the world. A dark and enclosed and isolating place where communication with the outside world is often difficult. You can imagine him to be alone without immediate help, comfort or reassurance. The psalmist wants us all to imagine him in this desperate case or a disparate state, deep abyss. This abyss and this call can also remind us of Jonah in the belly of a fish. He was very in a disparate, disparate state without any external help. And he said in Jonah 2, 1, In my distress, I call upon the Lord, the Eternal One, and he answered me. Are you today, my brothers and sisters, in the abyss in your physical or spiritual life? Are you tired, battered by sickness, or perhaps a serious, serious illness that no one can help you, with a medical prognosis that it is pretty bad, with no solutions or no hope? Are you in a situation like Jacob, Job, sorry, where no one, not even your brothers and sisters here, can help you? Are you afflicted by all sides in these times We don't necessarily feel like praying. If you are suffering in your flesh or in your soul, ask him to be with you and call upon him. Cry out to him, talk to him, and run to him. Call on him. God encourage all of us to talk to him. We may ask yourself, what is the point? Is God really listening? Yes, he is really listening. He is very ready to hear us. He is near to the broken heart, broken heart and is near to the weak, ready to help us in His ways. Call on God, our Creator, and ask Him to listen to you, as He does in verse 2, the, the psalmist. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. The psalmist insists and repeats, let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas. The psalmist did not engage as you will notice in flattery or empty promises to ask God to forgive him or to listen to him nor even say I will not do it again or I promise I will do better next time he is not trying to bargain with God as we do sometimes in our sins he comes based to God on God's grace alone Knowing his humble state and despite state, he humbly asked God to listen to his supplication. Later in the psalm, we'll know the object of his prayer. It is a prayer of repentance, and by, by that I said it's a prayer. Let us revisit the purpose of prayer in Christian life. Uh, one of my favorite reformer Martin Luther, says prayer is the breath of all Christians' need. Imagine uh, kids... If you are here and not, and pinching your nose and not breathing, it will be terrible. You'll pass out very fast. In the same way, Christians need to breathe. Christians need to pray with our God. And we need to pray not only in time of trouble, despair, isolation, but also we can pray in time of shame and great need. We have all faced shame and we all ask God to forgive us. What an example in this psalm for all of us that psalm is calling us to God from a tough place in life, perhaps submerged by the weight of sin, isolated by sins that he had committed, sins that perhaps compromise or close his friendship or his relationship with his family or his dear friends in the deep habits all alone. This This amazing verse is for all of us, to call on, on him, pray passionately, and raise our voice to his throne with supplication from our hearts. We are, as I mentioned, pilgrim. We are all in exile in the f- spiritual combat. We are this, on this pilgrim journey all together. And we are not alone. Sometimes we feel like we are all alone because of the weight of sin and guilt and shame in ourselves or around us. Ask God to be with you if you feel alone tonight and he will help you. Likewise like the psalmist, let us call to hear to, to God to hear our, our plea our call. He will hear us. How do we know that? We have several examples in the Bible of that, that God answered prayer. One in a positive and one in a negative. So I'll start with the negative. Do you remember the Pharisees' prayer in the New Testament in Luke eight ten to fourteen? The Pharisee's prayer was not listened by God. It was full of, it was full of hypocrisy, long words, pretentious and in public. The issue with the Pharisee was with his prayer and his art before the Lord. He was proud and did not need God's grace, coming to God with arrogance. No sense of humility, no sense of apparent weaknesses. Conversely, we have a positive in the same passage with uh, the tax collector. He was an humble, and his heart was right before the Lord, and his prayer of repentance was accepted and granted. God does not hear the, the proud, as James, as, is, as it is written in James 4, 6. God resists. The proud but give grace to the humble. The Psalmist refer to his sin because he knows himself. He knows that he is proud and perverted, as all human beings are. That is why he asked God to overlook his sin, appealing to God's mercy, in verse three. If you, O Lord, shall mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He asked God to forget his sin in his equities, but the object of his call, of his prayer of repentance, he is right. Who could stand before a sinless God at the temple that is climbing to? He knows that he is a pilgrimage to see God and request to stand before him. How could he stand before, before him with his sins marked if his sins are marked forever? The question is valid. And the preposition follows this verse, but we have a but also in Romans for righteousness, and here we have a but. Also but he remember God's character and now we move to one key verse of his song and this songs and this simple but switch all the things and so we start, we switch into the second call of his song a call to remember God's forgiveness verse 4 it is like a light bulb event a eureka moment suddenly he remembers God's forgiveness but with you, there is forgiveness that we may be, you may be feared. God can remember everything, like Psalter says, wrote. Let's ask him to forget our sins, not in a callous way, not in a cheap way, because God's grace is not cheap. He gave his son, his, the, son the blood of his son, to, buy, to redeem all of us. Let us ask to remember our sin no more as we know that God is a forgiving God as written in Hebrews 8.12 for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. As verse 3 suggests no one can come before God directly if his sins are marked forever and never removed. The psalmist knows God's holiness. Holiness is the character of God he is totally, totally different from us. He is without blemish. He is without sin. Nothing can compare to him. The psalmist understand this. How does he know this? God told Israel how to approach them, approach Him in the Leviticus in the tabernacle. The Israelites had to wash or purify themselves before entering the temple, and not. No one except the purified priest could enter the temple in the holies of holies. This physical washing was necessary just as a symbol of what happened, what need to happen spiritually in our heart before entering in his presence. We need to confess our sin to him, to be washed by his word and by his work. Two words are very strange here, forgiveness and fear in the same verse. At first glance, having these two words linked together in the same verse seems to be hard and peculiar. It is not odd. We are, when we call on his forgiveness, we must remember who is he. He is the most, most holy and handsome God. As we receive his forgiveness and see how much God is different from us, we are called to fear him respectfully as it is written in Isaiah three 3.5. And we shall come in the fear, of, to, uh, to, um, and we shall come in the fear to the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. To fear God is to venerate Him and revering Him in our prayers, without pretension. God hates sins, and remembering, He can see our hearts. He can see how much filthy we are. When we pray to God and commune with Him, we must approach Him honestly and sincerely. Recognizing what we are not. Identifying what we are. Exposing our sins. Whatever sin it is we have committed. And humbly asking God for his grace to approach him, not his justice. In, this, in the New Testament, we have read with Pastor uh, Joseph in, um, in, um, our, uh, in, uh, in um, Black Forest. We have read Acts. Ananias and his wife, Zepharia, were punished for lying to the Spirit of God, to the Holy Spirit, without shame or fear. This fear is a good reminder for all of us when we pray to ask for his grace. When approaching God, we are covered with unconfessed sin, voluntary or involuntary sins. John tells us in 1 John 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his words are not in us. We need to ask God to forgive us. In the Old Testament, they are to do sacrifices. These sacrifices were only shadows. The sacrifices were mandated by God. Mandated by God could not atone for sins. In the past, in the present, or future, they were just signs to show us the need of a Savior. A need for a change of knowledge and art. We can read this, for example, in Isaiah six. 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifices, the knowledge of God rather than burn offering. God desires love, knowledge rather than sacrifice, and burn offering. He desires a knowledge that we are covered in sins. The psalmist recognized not only his own statue, but the statue of every humankind or human being. Who called God? Who called before God and asked him to forget his sin. And forgive him. He also knows is that he is God, and that is why he can hope. We are going now to the first section, first call of his we the waiting with hope in the promise of forgiveness, a, a call to hope in God's word. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. He explains why and how he is waiting. He is waiting. He remains not, he's, he's not waiting in his flesh, not with his eyes, not, but with his soul. And why is waiting? He waits because his hope is, in, is, is based on the word of God. In his word, I hope. Here we can see another promise of God's given to pilgrims like us. He has not left us alone in his pilgrimage. He has given us his word and is faithful to his word. We can have hope, assurance, and for, of his forgiveness. And why? We are ready to, in the Old Council of God, either in the Old or New Testament, that God is a forgiving God. Our hope is not based on some fantasies or some misinterpretation of the New Testament of his word. It is clear, plain, and straightforward. Today I'll share one verse in my view that. Describe at best God's promise of forgiveness to his covenant people. From Meru 8.12. I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember this in no more. The psalmist awaits God's answer with hope. To hope is to have a positive attitude of trust, assurance, that what has been promised will be accomplished. And sometimes there's some delays. He prays for his forgiveness and there will be surely an answer. Who could apply this to all of us here present when we pray? Even if it's not a prayer of abundance, we can expect an answer. Are you, my dear brothers and sisters, in this attitude of assurance when you pray for something? In James 1, 5, we hear, but let him ask in faith without doubting. The apostle Paul encouraged uh, James, sorry, encourage all of us to pray without doubting. There will be an answer. Praying combines hope, faith, trust, love, and assurance in God. God, hear us for sure. We don't pray in a vacuum. The Holy Spirit is with all of us. Are you ready to wait for his wisest answer? The solemn request from the Habis, confessing his sinful state before the eternal God, It is easy to pray without hope, without certainty, without fervor. But when you are called to pray, with hope and our hope should stand in his revealed world. We cannot pray in a vacuum, as I said. Let's use his word to pray and to wait. God's answer in his text is immediate. The psalmist, uh, for this psalmist, we can read the joy restored. And he's so excited to go to the temple, knowing that he's forgiven and to be of all the saints with him. Next, the psalmist gives us an illustration, an example of how much he hopes for an answer from God. Using an excellent example of Hebrew poetry, mixing parallelism and repetition in verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. As the psalmist writes, more than watchmen, more than the watchmen, we are asked to watch for God's answer. Do you know how much watchman waits for the morning? It could refer to two kinds of watchmen: military and civilian in the Jewish society. Let me describe the different task, and in big stroke. First, the civilian watchmen stood in the walls, uh, stood in the watchtower in the countryside, and they were there to protect crops. They were in the Big towers to survey and protect the crops from robbers at night, second, the military guards duties were very different. They were to protect and stand in the walls and to protect the city to ensure that the gates were been closed at night, and no enemy could enter the town as enemies often and thieves often enter at night time when dawn came when the sun was rising, the job was done, and they were very glad to go to sleep. (laughs) Will you sign for a night watch, knowing that the night is endless, a night with no morning? Certainly not. You and I will refuse to take on such a job, with no hope of stopping uh, the job, while our bodies tell us to rest and to fall asleep, uh, to go to bed and close our eyes for the moment. I do remember very well, when I served in the French, Army, the French Air Force, that uh, I fell asleep in my first watch. My first officer was able to wake me up. But It is where I notice that it is, the nights are very, very, very long. <laughs> and we all hope for the morning. <laughs> Being awake, um, yes. Coming back to the text, uh, these watchmen waiting impatiently for the morning to come and watching for the suns to rise in the east. This is where God wants us to, to bring us there, by repeating more than, more than. When we pray for repentance, we must hope for an answer like a certainty of the gods that morning is coming to relieve them from the duties. After all, if the gods have this assurance, it is because they know God controls the universe. He is the sovereign God. He holds everything, the weather, the seasons, the planets, the earth movement around the sun, the time, the sun to rise and set. He is the sovereign God. In the same way, when we pray, let us hope that the answer comes with assurance. Even there is a wait, a delay, because it's God, the sovereign God, our God, who answers to us directly. Let us move on to the fourth call, a call to trust in God's steadfast love. Verse 7 and 8. Let me read it again. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist is reminded of God promised to Israel and exhorts all of us and all his brothers and sisters to trust God, the faithful Redeemer of Israel. He is already proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would have been impossible without the work of God, without his divine inspiration. It is like the Apostle Peter who recognized Jesus as the Messiah in Matthew six thirteen. In his passage, we read, Jesus is asking, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Peter replied that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, to which Jesus replies that it is not by his flesh no, or blood that he, Peter, answered correctly by the Father in heaven. He answered correctly by the Father in heaven, by God, by the power of God, by his work. Likewise, when we pray, we must acknowledge God's works, his liberating action from sin in our prayer, the deliverance from the bondage of sin, and the forgiveness. Yes, He has already displayed this work was already displayed in Exodus, when God saved Israel from captivity, when he brought back the Jewish people from Babylon. And more personally, let's remember our salvation. Our salvation. If you are being dedicated, if, you, if tonight you know Christ, if you are born again, you know the salvation. You know that you have been born again. And that's that should be the most comforting joy to know that. That you are born again and God forgive you all your sins. If tonight, if you do not know Christ, I will encourage you to pray and ask God, cry out to God to come to you and show you the forgiveness and the assurance of salvation. He has brought back the Jewish people from Babylon and, like us, he has saved. He has saved us. Our sins are nailed to the cross. The debt is paid on the cross at Calvary. John 19.30, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, it is paid, and the justice of God was satisfied. Our sins have been wiped away. His son, Jesus Christ, has taken upon himself the punishment we deserved. Our misery is gone. Not a part, but all. Could you know, attest with Martin Luther, it is like a Polish, a Paul song, a divine gospel song. This grace was not free. Second Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake, he made him be seen with no new sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is the liberator of Israel, the redeemer. If you do not know him, Bow down and ask him to forgive your sin, to receive his grace, his forgiveness with humility, love, and gratitude, because none of us deserve his gospel. Ephesians 2: nine says, "Not by your works, let no man shall boost. Praise the Lord, God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit for this. If you know Christ as the Lord and Savior, please pray. To be free from any sin that still entrap you, He will answer your prayer in His time. Finally, let us move to the last call, the call to rejoice in God's plan. And as I, as as mentioned in the beginning, I mentioned this psalm is a psalm of lament, and now we are finishing with a call to uh, to rejoice. Did any of you, any of you think that this is strange or odd? How can it be? Consider this, our laments turn into joy when we see his great mercy and loving kindness toward us. We might have tears of sorrow, but he wiped them all away. For us today, we are living on the other side of the cross. In history, the cross, we are on the other side of the cross, and we have full assurance of that. Jesus has accomplished his mission as a redeemer. There is no doubt even though we are, not in, we are still in the already-not-yet kingdom that sometimes trips all of us. In this song, we see that even a covenant people can be miserable when sins abounds. Sins can bring all of us down in our joy, in our spirit, and sin seems so in, in our spirit when sin seems so horrible. My beloved brother and sister, there is no condemnation for all of us found in him. Let us confess. Let us come to him. Let us repent. Let us lift our eyes to our beautiful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and live a life that he has called us to live for his glory alone. Although we sin daily, let us come closer, even closer, and more often to the front of grace and repenting, asking for forgiveness and enjoying the restored fellowship with him as he has taught in the Lord's prayer. Let us all rejoice with God's plan of salvation for humankind. Let us walk in humility, sincerity, honesty in front of him and others by repeating this pilgrim's prayer, last verse. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for in the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your word in the Psalm one thirty, a pilgrim's prayer. Help us to see this, this prayer and make it ours. To come to you to confess our sin. To know that we are saved and you have we we have no help us to have no shame. Remove all shame from our lives. Let us um, let us confess you, our God and Savior, our Redeemer, the one who can bring us back the joy of our salvation. Help us all in our sanctification to remember that you are with us and not against us. And you are for us. You will sanctify all of us who know you. And you will bring them to your city, the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And we are so thankful for that, that for this pilgrimage we are not alone, but we have brothers and sisters all around us. We do the same, we are doing the same work like us. Help us to be um, accountable to one another, to be accountable to you in our daily life, and when we sin, to not be afraid to cry out to you, God. And the uh, there is plenty, plenty forgiveness in you, God. Thank you for this song. With this name, Jesus Christ. Amen.